So many of us in the lived experience with brain injury, we feel like I used to be so smart and now I'm not. And it's a self-worth and you, it's a way that you see your value. Your executive functioning basically gets jumbled up and, and processes differently. I think that's such an important part of this. For me, I went from top of my class to special education. It really, really impacts your self-worth, but I found a lot of empowerment in accommodations. There is always hope, and you are not alone. Hi, I'm Christabel Braden, and this is my brain injury podcast, Hope Survives. Here, we share information, education, and support for the brain injury community. This is an uplifting podcast to bring hope to your darkest days. As a survivor of traumatic brain injury and multiple concussions, I know what it's like to struggle to find hope. I don't want anyone to feel as alone as I did. And that's why I started my online community called Hope After Head Injury. This podcast is an extension of that. And I'd love to invite you to join along as we explore the realities of life with brain injury with messages of encouragement, interviews with doctors and professionals, and survivor stories. No matter where you're at on your journey, there is always hope. With a little hope, you can make it through today. With a little faith, someday you'll get through the pain. Just a little love is enough to light the way through your darkest night. Hope survives. Hope survives. Hope survives. Welcome back to another episode of Hope Survives podcast. We are here today for episode nine with our special guest, Carly Andres. You might remember her from earlier in this season on the episode on emotional dysregulation. She is back today to offer her expertise on school accommodations post-brain injury. She has a history in special education and currently works at the North Dakota Brain Injury Network. We are also going to talk about studying tips post-injury. So even if you're not currently in school, I hope that this episode encourages you and gives you some hope and advice on maybe you have a goal to read more or to study on your own or to do some learning. So it kind of covers all aspects of learning, but we do also talk about self-advocacy, how to stand up for yourself in school when it comes to accommodations. And a huge piece of this, the theme that runs through, is your self-worth. I share a lot of my personal experiences as a student after brain injury and the way that this impacted the way that I see myself and my value. And one thing that a lot of people feel when it comes to accommodations is they don't necessarily want to ask for the additional help because they just think they can handle it or they can get better. But one thing about accommodations that helped me is it empowered me. I didn't always use it on every assignment, but knowing it was there gave me that safety net if I had a high symptom day, a lot of headaches, or I was feeling really off that week. Extended time on tests, extended time on assignments. There are a lot of different things that schools can offer to help when it comes to brain injury. So we are going to be focusing on high school, college type accommodations. However, a lot of this is also applicable to the workplace. We might do a different episode in the future about workplace type accommodations after injury. I'd have to find the right person to interview, but it doesn't hurt to take some of the concepts applied and see how it can apply to your life. I also wanted to take a minute and apologize to my loyal listeners, my loyal Friday listeners. This episode normally releases around 7 or 8 a.m. on Fridays. Today, it is not coming out until closer to 7 p.m. because 
I had a crazy week and I went to Nashville and recorded some new music, which I'm really excited about. I'm working on a project for Brain Injury Awareness Month and it went really well. But yesterday, after I got home off of my flight on Wednesday, yesterday I was hoping to have some time to work on this podcast episode. The interview was already done. I just didn't do this little intro part yet, and I didn't write the description or make the website page for it. So I had a couple little things to finish, and I was so tired yesterday. I had such a bad headache. I thought to myself, I can either push through really hard, push through my brain, and not follow my own advice that I tell everyone on Hope After Head Injury and on the podcast, or I can give myself some extra time. And yes, the episode might not hit the deadline of Friday morning. However, I was hoping I would feel better today and could get it out this evening. So... I took some brain rest time, and now here today, this episode, it's still coming out on the same day, but it's coming out in the evening. And I learned that concept from my school accommodations. Sometimes I would force and push myself so hard to get assignments done by the due date when the professors were more than willing to offer an extension. Sometimes you just have to ask, and of course you need the appropriate documentation, which we're going to talk about later on in the episode. But I learned that concept of flexible deadlines through the school accommodations, and that's honestly the only reason I was able to make it through school was because of my brain injury accommodations. So... If you're used to listening on Friday mornings, again, I just want to apologize it's not out this morning. However, I do hope it can be an example of brain injury self-care because I am a survivor and I do all this by myself. So sometimes it just takes a little bit extra time and that's okay. Give yourself grace and know that the world is going to keep turning even if that thing doesn't get done by the time you thought. If you're listening to this now, hey, The podcast is still out. It's still here. You are still listening. Everything worked out. (laughs) But in the future, over the next couple weeks, I am going to make a lot more of a concerted effort to make sure it's out Friday morning because I've seen on the statistics that a lot of you actually do listen on Fridays during the day and Friday morning. Uh, So I just know that if that was your normal routine and you weren't able to do it today, I'm sorry, but it will be back next week at normal time. Anyway, all that to say, we have a great episode coming up. Stay tuned, keep listening, and I'm excited for more episodes that are coming out over the next couple weeks. Thank you so much for listening to season two. And if you are enjoying the podcast, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. You can scroll down to the bottom of our podcast page, click the stars, and leave us a review. I would really, really appreciate it because that helps new listeners to find the podcast. And if it's helpful to you, you can always share to your Instagram story. Follow us on Instagram, Hope After Head Injury. And I'm just really grateful for our community being here. I also wanted to mention our Zoom support group is once a month, and our next meeting is January 20th, just coming up this week. So if you've never been before, would love to have you. You can have your camera on or off, however you're comfortable. I'd love to meet you, hear your story. You can ask questions. You can talk and connect, or you can just listen, however you're the most comfortable. So yeah, I think those are all the... uh, housekeeping kind of details so far about this episode and let's get started thanks for tuning in hope after head injury is a global online community for brain injury survivors caregivers families advocates anyone who'd want to be part of the brain injury community I'd like to invite you to join our Facebook support group. You can search Hope After Head Injury support group on there. We also have a page and an Instagram. And every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on the Hope After Head Injury Facebook page, there's a live chat. So I've been doing this live video 
for over five years on the Hope After Head Injury Facebook page. So you can join us every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern, and that has become just such a beautiful community. We also have a monthly Zoom support meeting. You can join that by visiting hopeafterheadinjury.com slash community. And the link for that is in the description of the podcast. We meet once a month, encourage each other on our journeys. You can either have your camera on or off, however you're comfortable. You can just listen or you can come and share some of your story and encouragement with others. It's a great time to know that we are in this together and we are stronger together as a brain injury community. I also run a group called Brain Injury Bible Study. There's also a podcast for that. If you search Brain Injury Bible Study, that should come up. And we have Zoom meetings occasionally as well and a Facebook group. You can find that information if it's something you'd be interested in. It's basically we combine faith and brain injury recovery together in that group. Now, finally, I just want to share a reminder that this podcast is for education and informational purposes only, and it's not intended for medical advice. If you need specific medical advice, please consult your physician. Now let's get started in today's interview. I'm here today with Carly Andries from the North Dakota Brain Injury Network. She is an educator and she's also a certified brain injury specialist. And I'm so excited to have her here today to talk with us about school and learning after brain injury. So welcome, Carly. Thank you for coming. Thank you, Christabel. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Do you want to share a little bit about your background? Sure, sure. I am from Grand Forks, North Dakota, um, born and raised. I have a bachelor's degree in elementary education and a master's degree in special education. And then I taught for two years at the high school level in the um, intellectual disabilities program or the severe multi-handicap classroom was what it was called when I first started. And then um, I went on to the middle school and taught at the middle school level for eight years after that. So 10 total years teaching experience. And then I've had a lot of side jobs throughout college and high school and beyond too that have a lot to do with with serving individuals with disabilities. I worked for a children's, um, just for fun, special needs program, um, kind of a summer activity program for for individuals from middle school, actually eighth grade, I think I started that and then did that throughout college. And then I worked for a group home um, here in Grand Forks for children um, with special needs under the age of 21. And then when I lived in Arizona, I worked for a women's group home there, which was a little bit more mental health, um, but still some developmental disabilities. And then um, I provided respite care for a family, for a young man um, with Down syndrome for about 10 years. So I have various experiences in the, the home world as well as the school setting. So Yeah, so that is a lot, <laughs> a lot of, <laughs> of different avenues. And yes, so you have a history in working with special education, but also working with various types of disabilities. And recently you've been working with brain injury. Exactly. So, right. So um, teaching just got a little burnt out, um, needed a change. And there was a job open at the University of North Dakota. And um, it was for the North Dakota Brain Injury Network. So I applied and Rebecca and I hit it off in my interview and she hired me and here we are about three years later. We're coming up on three years now. I've been with Andy Bin. So we are part of the Center for Rural Health on the University of North Dakota's campus. We're a branch of that. Our funding is, is through our Department of Human Services, our Behavioral Health Division. But we, uh, we serve the whole state of North Dakota. And um, I serve as Outreach Coordinator. Um, and Rebecca sometimes says my title is Outreach and Education Coordinator because I do do a lot of coordinating of our educational type events as far as training of providers, trainings for staff that might be working with an individual that's maybe transitioning into community and things like that. And then we do have some online courses that North Dakota Brain Injury offers, and I am the teacher of record for those. So I answer all the questions that our students have and things like that. I love the wide variety of background that you have. Mm -hmm. And you're perfect for this topic today. 
as we're going to be talking about accommodations and modifications as far as school and education after brain injury. And so this will be helpful for whether you're a survivor yourself going to school after your brain injury, or if you're a parent or a caregiver or family member of somebody who is in school, whether you're in grade school, high school, or post, uh, what do you call it? College? Post-secondary. <laughs> Post-secondary. Yeah. 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 And so there are three main things that I wanted to ask you about today. And so we'll talk about the first would be accommodations and modifications and what are your recommendations with your history in special education and what should they look like, especially for someone with a brain injury. The next thing I wanted to ask about was self-advocacy and the importance of that and tips for those who might need to learn how to self-advocate. And then finally, I wanted to ask for study tips as far as anyone who wants to learn how to study better with their brain injury, whether they're in school or they're just trying to learn and learn for themselves. And so, yeah, do you want to go ahead and let's just dive right into the accommodation sure, side sure. of it? Yeah, I think the first big thing with accommodations and modifications is just clearing up the difference between them. So an accommodation to me or my like layman's terms of accommodations would be you know, the same information that everyone else in the classroom is learning, but it might be changed a little bit to a more user-friendly format. Um, so rather than reading the book, you have an audiobook. You know, that's a simple example right there of an accommodation that's very easy to implement. And especially in the school setting, um, K through 12 setting anyway, you can find most books available to listen to um, in that format. But then a modification it would be when we are changing the content of what is to be learned or maybe bringing it to their level. And that's what my experience when I taught special education mostly was, was, was modifying the content to fit my students' um, academic age um, rather than their cognitive age. And so that's what I have a lot of experience with. But now coming to MD Bin, I get more, a lot more experience with accommodations, which has been exciting and interesting. So basically, someone with a brain injury, we always like to reiterate the fact that usually IQ score does not change with a brain injury. If At the most, it might change by 10 points or so. So it's not really a cognitive barrier. It's a processing. It's those executive functioning skills need more love, I guess, than your average person. And when I say executive functioning, I'm talking about, you know, memory, processing speed, um, the emotional component that goes into a brain injury. Um, there's a lot of, uh, basically, your higher level, your planning, your organizing, all are, are all your executive functioning skills. And so those kind of get jumbled up when we have a brain injury, or they, they're just not um, performing at their peak. And so we can provide just simple accommodations. For example, for note taking, you can give examples beforehand. So one of my roles is I go out and do some consult with some of our clients that are younger and still still in middle school or high school. I always recommend the teacher give notes or outlines of what's going to be covered that day in class because that attention piece of brain injury is so important. Um, there can be a lot of things that, that pull their attention off of the speaker and what's going on in the room and so if they have the notes in front of themselves and are able to follow along and also I think with the visual component with a lot of my survivors they struggle with looking up at the board or at the teacher and then back down to their paper and up and down and up and down just that visual back and forth and so if they have notes in front of them and they don't have to necessarily worry about keeping track of every single thing that the teacher is saying um, then they can keep up better with the class. And I know smart pens is something I, I constantly am recommending. And I think, Christabel, you talked about your use of a smart pen yeah. um, and, and how beneficial it is for you. For North Dakota, we have MB Assist, which is a, a te assistive technology company or program funded through our state. And people can try all those devices to make sure they work first and that they're going to be user-friendly for you because I will be honest a smart pen is not the easiest to figure out I can imagine when you were learning that you know it, it takes a few months almost I would say to really get it down and yeah one of the things that I found helpful with a smart pen if anyone's listening and has used a smart pen so what 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 we're talking about on that is it's basically a pen that has special paper notebooks and the pen will audio record the lecture 
of what you're listening to while you're writing and taking notes. And you can plug it into your computer, or at least that's what I did. And it would show all the notes visually. And you could listen back to what you were listening to at the same time as looking at what you wrote. And so one tip that I found that helped is I would put like a star in the margin if there was something that I wanted to go back and listen to again that I knew I was going to need for a test or something. And then those were places and you can just essentially go back and click on your notes and hear what was going on at the time. So they're they're very helpful, but it's not going to be for everyone. So it's, and like you said, finding the right things that work for, for each person. I want to go back to two pieces of what you're speaking about. First is when you're talking about how your IQ doesn't necessarily change with a brain injury, but your executive functioning basically gets jumbled up and and processes differently. I I think that's such an important part of this. And I don't want to gloss over that because what you said was such a nugget of wisdom right there. (laughs) (laughs) That so many of us in the lived experience with brain injury, we feel like we're stupid. We feel like we're like I used to be so smart and now I'm not. And it's a self it's a self-worth and it's a way that you see your value. Like and so going from for me, I went from top of my class to now special education. And it was like I was AP level student to struggling with simple addition and it it really really impacts your self-worth but I found a lot of empowerment in in accommodations and and yeah. modifications and so I like how you pointed out the difference between accommodation and modification how accommodation is the same material presented differently but a modification is actually changing the content to be learned so I have two questions um, the first is, One example that they did for me when I was in high school after my brain injury is they modified my requirements. So I did not have to take gym class. And I also did not have to take a foreign language because my memory was not, my memory association was not there. And so they actually changed the graduation requirements for me. And they, they put instead, like, I think some sort of elective or an extra, I think I had to take an extra history or something like that to go over the foreign language, something, something like that. But, um, yeah. So would that be considered a modification or? I think so. I mean, not necessarily. I think that's a little bit of a, cause you were still meeting the credit numbers. Yeah. Yeah. So I think you are still meeting graduation requirements. They might've just like changed your requirements a little bit. Um, but I have seen students that get a modified diploma. So they are taking classes. So like my students, for example, especially with intellectual disabilities, typically you would see that not so much with a brain injury, but where they'll get a modified diploma. So their, their courses are completely different. So like, let's say social studies or, you know, for a a random example, but the students with intellectual disabilities, at least in North Dakota, we have what we call applied topics classes. And usually applied topics are taught by a special education teacher rather than a a general education teacher and sometimes co-taught it just depends on the school and their model but so then that student isn't necessarily learning the exact same things that they're learning in social studies with peers mm-hmm. they're, they're you know for like I taught applied topics social studies and so we would work on things like map skills and learning your community and how do I get from A to B and reading a bus map more functional social studies Whereas the kids in the general ed setting are learning about a little more history and a little more about, you know, things, the wagon train thing back in the 1800s or something like that, you know, more historical things, if that makes sense. I think of applied topics as a little more functional information, more things that are going to really help you further on in life. And that would be an example of a modified. And so then those students, when they get their diploma, there's like a little star next to it saying that they were in modified courses so that was kind of what North Dakota does anyway I don't know every state with special education is a little bit different special ed is federal and then there's a lot of state things that go into it too like the requirements are federal and brain injury you can qualify for an IEP with a traumatic brain injury Um, and we also see that label get a little bit 
in North Dakota, sometimes they'll put you under other health impairment rather than TBI. And we do see that a lot. Um, or you can have a primary and a secondary label and thing, and that gets into a whole other thing. But, um, but yeah, overall, I think modifications, you're completely changing content and expectations almost basically of the learner. Yeah, so I wouldn't consider, I, I think the fact that you made up, that you had all the credits and that you... Yeah, I wouldn't consider yeah. that completely modified, I guess. Okay. I did have an IEP after okay. Okay. Um, my yep. TBI. So yes. um, I I had an IEP and I also repeated a grade. Okay. So I I held back and did another grade over again um, after my TBI. So do you think that was good? Like, do you think that Definitely. Yeah, it good. changed everything. Because... I don't think I would have been able to go to college if I tried to push through. Okay. Yeah. I think a lot of people hesitate to hold kids back anymore. It's kind of old practice. So I kind of almost like to hear that that happened to you and that you had a good experience with it because I think it was my family's choice. Okay. So okay. it was like, I could have pushed through had I wanted to, sure. but I was not functioning. I could have pushed through academically, but I was not functioning socially. I was not functioning memory wise. Um, there were just a lot of pieces of my recovery that, that you deal with in school that, you know, to get ready for the next step. And when I did go to college, I went to a very, very small school that 25% of the students that go there have disabilities. And I lived in an ADI compliant dorm. I had accommodations. It was like, it was, it was very helpful for my TBI. And so going back to accommodations, though, a couple of the things that I had was I could sit in the front of the classroom. I could audio record lectures with the smart pen. I also in college, they had note takers. So there was they would take like a student in the class that would anonymously bring their notes to the um, disability services office. And then those would get given to the students in the class with disabilities. I took my tests in a different room. There were some instances that I would have multiple choice instead of fill in the blank or essay because of memory. And then there were some instances where I could have like a bank of words or topics that would help as far as the essay writing would go. So there are a variety of different accommodations depending on where you are at. But this kind of goes into our next topic of self-advocacy. One of the things that I found the most important in my post-TBI school journey was to learn how to advocate for myself and also to not be ashamed of having accommodations to, you know, when the test day would come and I would go to a different room than all the other students at first, that was embarrassing. I, you know, but they knew I had a brain injury. So it's not like, you know, it's not like um, that was hidden very well. But, you know, there is there's this sense of like, you feel like, oh, because it's not like something you've grown up with. It's something you didn't have and now you have. Right. And so I, I just offer advice and encouragement to know that I think about accommodations like wearing glasses. Like you can't have somebody who needs glasses take a test without their glasses because they won't be able to see well. And so accommodations exactly. just level the playing field. They do. Yeah, what's fair is not always equal is something I said all the time in my classroom. Because some kids, you know, I was, I differentiated a lot of my instruction, which I think is really helpful um, to, you know, you might not be given the same list or that you, like you said, you had a word bank and other kids maybe didn't, but um, yeah, what's fair is not always equal. Yeah. Also, I could type my, I could type my tests. Um, yeah. So our, our uh, disability office had a computer area where people would take tests with like little cubicles. And instead of having to hand write my essays or my short answer responses on tests because I struggled with um, my handwriting and also processing typing meant that I could backspace <laughs> or it also spell checked it, you know? And so um, typing, being able to type my responses made a huge difference. And to just give you the other side of that, I have a, a client I'm working with right now who doesn't really use the computer very well, and she struggles with the visual component of the computer. So she has a scribe, so she can tell the, her answer to someone, and they're writing verbatim what she's saying, and they accept that as her answer for That's like great. short, short essay. Yeah, same. Yeah, so there same are concept though. So I mean, she's still, and that's the big thing. I think we still especially with the combinations, you're still showing the exact same content that you know the content 
you just are showing it maybe in a different way that you know it. But self-advocacy is so, I think, well, I think they need to start young, as young as possible, depending on when the injury happens. Or, um, and I think, um, you know, self-advocacy can range from small things like starting to attend your own meeting or to asking the teacher, hey, those lights are really bright. Can we shut two of those off? They're bothering my eyes. Um, or I need to go get a drink of water. You know, it's 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 similar to like a uh, a bathroom break, but you might need it because of your brain injury rather than because of needing the bathroom. And I think there's a huge difference, and I think everyone needs to explain that in the beginning that you know, for high school and for middle school in those younger years, accommodations and modifications are going to be they're going to seek you out and provide those for you, the teachers are. Whereas at the college level, you kind of need to be the one saying, I need some assistance. And so you have to learn how to speak up and, and express yourself and um, use your disability support services office. I'm glad to hear that you were using yours. Oh, I would not have survived without it. <laughs> it was my lifeline. <laughs> right. Yes, yes. And I would say many of my survivors are the same way. I love now, and maybe this is fairly new and I cannot remember what it's called, but now in a lot of the classrooms on our campus, the lecture is like being typed out on a screen at the front of the room for everybody. And I think that helps everybody, not just the student with the brain injury, but then they're getting a visual as well. They're getting that multi-sensory approach. So basically it's like, it's an automated system that's, I mean, it might not be exactly perfect spelling and exactly what the teacher said, but it's, it's pretty close. Cool. So it's like closed captioning basically for a classroom. So during the lecture, whatever the, the teacher is saying or the, the professor is saying is being typed across the screen. And that really helps some of our survivors as well. I have not heard of that. So it's basically like automated. Yes. Yeah. It's, I, I think of it almost as like a court reporter, but it's all automated and it's, yeah, um, they're typing everything that's being said in the room for you. So as a visual component too, I think that's really helpful. We all, no matter whether we have a disability or not, we learn, we have different learning styles and that's okay. And it's kind of, to me, old school mentality to not be, you know, accepting of those and allowing those within your classroom. So self-advocacy as far as, you know, I need to take my test somewhere else or you need it read to you. Proposing alternative formats of assignments. I think that can be, if you have good ideas or if you're like Christabel, I think of you with your music. You're so musical. And um, if you could, you know, write a song about, you know, the concept being taught rather than a paper, you know, just, I mean, I think there's all those little things that as long as you can show what you know, I think most professors, most um, teachers are going to be accepting of that. Self-advocacy is just something I think a lot of parents struggle with because you almost are letting them fail a little bit in some sense. You know, I think we have to learn how to fail and that the world isn't always the nicest place and that we but we have to learn how to speak up for ourselves and even things like ordering at a restaurant is a good example of a self-advocacy skill that we can start when kids are very young you know five six years old you know everybody order their order their own food and learn just how to speak up and not have your mom or dad order for you um, or making a phone call maybe to schedule an appointment that's a good way to learn just how to start the process so if you need to have an eye appointment having you call rather than your your parent or caregiver call and just make that that initial contact and you just learn how to start to speak up for yourself in a small way. My mom did that with me and I did not like it at first. I know. And she would sit hard. across the table from me and hand me the phone and say, you need to call about your medication refill. I'd say, I don't want to. You need to call and leave a message about your medication refill. You know, and she would have me do those things. But I, I do think it, it has definitely helped me to transition into adulthood in yeah. a way that because I had my TBI young um, at 14. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I I had to learn how to adapt to life with brain injury during high school. And then mm -hmm. I had to move move forward. And well, there's still a lot of things that I struggle with being able to advocate for myself, I think has been a life skill that has been very helpful. One thing my special education teacher, um, my caseworker did. So when I was, when I was finishing up high school, uh, we, I switched schools when I repeated a grade because the bullying was so bad in the school I was at before. 
um, where my brain injury happened. And so we moved and I repeated a grade. So nobody knew I repeated a grade. So socially that helped. So I went to a, a different um, public, a public school. But uh, there was a class called study skills that the caseworker would have. And every single day, uh, me and a group of students who had disabilities would go to the special ed classroom and she would go over our assignments for the week and ask us what we need to do, teach us how to write in our agenda. You know, we would do homework in there and she would be able to help us or have us ask questions. Um, often we would take our tests when we needed extra time on tests. We would use that class period to finish up a test, things like that. But one of the things she did for me was when I first started at the school, this was like the, a year and a half after my TBI, um, I packed my lunch every day because I could not handle the overstimulation of the cafeteria. And so one thing she did, and I said I wanted to learn how to buy lunch. So she took me to the cafeteria before lunchtime and she showed me where everything was when nobody was in there, what was in what places. And she walked me through it. She did this a couple times with nobody in there to teach me. And then the first time I went in there to buy lunch by myself at the lunch period, she just stood in the corner and watched and she was there if I needed help. But I was able to successfully go through, pick out the food I wanted and pay for it. And that made such a huge difference in terms of my independence. But I, I would not have been able to just go buy lunch by myself. I needed that, those steps to help. And so those are the kind of life skills that, you know, and then eventually I was able to do that. And when I was able to go to college, I was able to go to the dining hall and pick out what I needed to eat, which had I not practiced that in high school, even though it was scary and overwhelming, I don't think I would have been prepared. So yes. that's just Almost an example. That practice makes perfect mentality that... Yeah. And that it's okay to do things differently for anyone listening. Who's a survivor, just be encouraged. It's okay to do things differently. If you're a parent or a caregiver of somebody with a brain injury, your heart probably breaks watching them struggle. I know my mom has talked about how that, you know, it's hard to watch somebody struggle through something. You just want to step in and do everything for them, but having assistance and helping and teaching them to self advocate is the best thing that you can do for them. Definitely. Yeah. Um, and you bring up kind of another point that I always like to talk about the paraeducator piece, which they are angels and they are the perf they're amazing people. But I think sometimes kids become too reliant on that para with them, that paraeducator. And I don't know what you guys call it in your state, but we call them paraeducators here, but basically adult support in the classroom for a student. And sometimes that can mean one-on-one -on -one, depending on your level, sometimes that small group. Um, but usually it's an adult kind of making sure that you're getting all the information from the teacher. And um, I think sometimes we do a disservice when we get assign a paraeducator to follow that kid around all day long. And we just need to learn how to fade that out at an earlier age to help build up those self-advocacy skills too, because yeah, I've had a gentleman come into my office that was a freshman. He had had several concussions um, from hockey and throughout high school, he was really struggling with the transition to college and not having an adult to basically, you know, do it for him. And, and so he came into my office, I think, looking for me to do things for him. And I'm like, okay, that's not how this works, but I can help you learn how to do things for yourself. And we set him up you know, color coding can be a really simple little thing you can do. So that helped him a lot. We just even color coded his classes and had, you know, a binder for each class where he could keep his materials. And um, he, we, we met with disability support services and got him some accommodations for test taking and some extra time. Time was his thing. He, he was, that processing speed can apply to just conversation, but it can also apply to like, doing an assignment and so he just needed a lot of extra time to do things and that was fine he was able to do his work fine when given more time yeah I had a similar experience extra time on tests and extra time on assignments as needed but I would have to communicate to the professor ahead of time that I needed to do that right right exactly and learning yeah. and it, it's also a battle of being okay to ask for that you know, I sometimes I would feel like I wasn't good enough if I didn't get it done by the assignment and that by like asking for extra time that I was like being weak or lazy or but what it but what it does is it gives you the ability 
to level the playing field again, right? To, to do what you're capable of, to live your potential, to do what you're able to do. And your brain just works a little differently. So you just might need some more time and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And then I think with grades too, I think we put so much weight on an A. Everybody wants an A and wants to be perfect. And A is highly above average. C is average when we look at like a grading scale and at all that. And so I think we really want to shift our mentality to being okay with the C. A B or C is okay. I think we get really, really worked up about lower than, a, than an A. and it's, Especially it's, if before your TBI, you were a straight A student. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Which can that be a first hard C on my report card was not a good day for me. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that is hard to see. And that's a, yeah, like an acceptance awareness piece. I'm sure that, that things are a little different now, but a C is still average. It is still is a perfectly okay. You are showing that you know a majority of the content that is being taught. Um, that's what grades, I, yeah, someday I wish we would just do away with grades, but <laughs> that would be a whole nother podcast. <laughs> This has been so helpful. So I'm sure that there's so much more that you have to share. But I did want to make sure that we touched on the final piece of this, which is tips for studying. So with your experience and expertise, I wanted to ask you, what are some study tips that you have for brain injury survivors, whether they are currently in school or whether they're just trying to read books and learn on their own? Sure, sure. So I think we all have a time of day, whether we're survivor or not, but survivors in particular have a time of day where they function better. Uh, majority of mine that I've met, um, morning is going to be the best for them, but that's personal preference, what works for you. So I think studying during that time is going to be key um, when you're the sharpest. Um, staying hydrated while studying, water, 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 can't say that enough. I think to study, to take like a multi-sensory approach, to studying so you're using all of your senses or as many as you can so like I gave you the example of, of, of a song turning things into a song back and that, that's going to activate well music especially activates all the brain so music is a great way of implementing any kind of learning or like a, a mnemonic, mnemonic device things like that where you're um, trying to remember something so you know like when you remember the planets my mother you know, I can't think of it right now. I should know it, but those devices to just kind of help you remember different things. It can be really helpful drawing a picture, rhyming, things like that. But then I really like the I teach, you teach. Um, that activates different parts of the brain. And I, I could even say this from a teaching perspective. Math, I am, I'm terrible at math. And I was throughout high school and college too. And but then when I became a teacher and I had to work with middle schoolers on middle school math, some of my students could do some middle school math. I became much better at math myself because I was teaching it. So when you're you're activating different parts of the brain when you're when you're doing the I teach you teach. So um, I would highly recommend as a study tool is even just. And I suppose it wouldn't even have to be to a person. You could talk to your dog, you could talk to the mirror, whatever. But if you can teach someone else maybe the skill that you're trying to learn or explain or explaining things in your own words is really going to help you retain and keep that information in your in your brain. And pacing yourself, taking that slow, like especially there's a huge gap between high school and, and post-secondary and college and just the learning formats. And so I think when you're first starting out one class, maybe two, I think students feel like they have to be a full-time student right away. And I know there's like sometimes things with financial aid that go into play with that, but as much as you can, if you can take the least amount of classes at the beginning and start to learn. And um, tracking symptoms, I think is so important. If you do notice symptoms getting worse, um, you know, and if you can even have a schedule or some kind of your planner, if you can just do a plus minus, like if that day was a hard day or not, and just see if you have any trends like, oh, the beginning of the week's better for me. The end of the week is not or something like that. I always like to say if it's not written down, it didn't happen. Um, anytime you can try to find a trend or, a, you know, look at that data of yourself, even. I think that um, I've mentioned Lynn Becker to you with her power of patience. There's an app out there now that. Um, you can track symptoms as a survivor. And I think that would maybe be a really helpful tool for someone starting out with classes and just seeing what time is best for you. 
I think also to schedule time off. We always schedule, you know, we have English class from 11 to 1 or whatever, but then from 2 to 4, I think you should just schedule, like, break or have, you know, whatever, however much time you think you're going to need, but I think you need to actually schedule it into your day and not just, just not think, oh, I'm going to take a break later, but actually have it concrete written out. Yeah, pacing is is huge, and we haven't really talked about this here. We've been talking more about traditional high school and college, but online college. So I just recently got my master's degree, which is something I never, <laughs> ever thought I'd be able to do after brain injury, ever. It's a whole other conversation, but I did it online, and I got my master's in theology, which is something that I, I love and I'm very passionate about. And my goal with my master's in theology is to create brain injury Bible study curriculum. And so I want to create Bible study workbooks for brain injury survivors um, that are accommodating to to that. And so that's, you know, I I felt the Lord was calling me to further my education Mm -hmm. so that I could teach the Bible with actually knowing what I'm talking about. Um, But when I went to do my master's, I was so nervous and I knew it was something God was calling me to do, but I started very slow. And um, online classes is, it worked better for me in some sense, but it also required more self-pacing. So the way that the format of the program I did was we did not have lectures there were pre-recorded videos, so I could watch them whenever I wanted, however I wanted. I could work any time in the day. We had it was a weekly program, so every Sunday it would start over, and our our assignments for the week were due the following Sunday. So any time during the week that I wanted, I could watch the lectures. I could do the assignments as long as I got them in by the due date. And so the program was created for adults that are working. For me, it was full, it was a full time situation with my TBI, yeah. but um, the program was created for working adults to have flexibility and schedule. With my brain injury, I found that was so helpful because there were not specific lecture times that I had to attend. Some online schools do have specific online times that you have to attend, but my program did not. And it allowed me the flexibility to pace myself, to schedule in breaks, and to work in the mornings in the times that worked best for me. And it allowed me to succeed and learn more than I would have, I would be able to learn when you're just kind of in survival yes. mode, you know. And and that goes beyond. I'm now that I'm graduated from my master's, I've been trying to read books that I want to read. <laughs> so I'm reading some like neuroscience books by Dr. Caroline Leaf and Dr. Daniel Amen. And they're heavy books. There's a lot in there. And yes. I'm trying to learn and retain the information, but I'm realizing I can't read too much at once or else I'm not going to retain anything. And so pacing myself with with learning material, even just in my own life, has been really helpful. So I definitely, definitely uh can echo and agree with with what you are saying. Did you find? Did you use an ebook ever? Have you ever used? I did. E-book? Yes. I've because I'm working on my doctorate right now too, and so I'm learning this whole asynchronous online format um, thing with yeah, being able to pace yourself. But uh, the ebook thing is really nice because they will read to you if you want it to, and I like. Yeah, and that. you can make the font as big as you want. <laughs> yep. Yep. You can play with font. You can and you can search search. Uh, search keywords in. That was so helpful. That is very helpful. And I like the ebook. I'll even put it on if I'm driving somewhere just as a, you know, um, to listen to in, in kind of an audio yeah, format. I think the ebook thing is the way to go. And it's usually much cheaper than the yeah. Textbook yeah, so that. there are a lot of a lot of different options, but the final piece I want to ask, which I always ask because we're Hope Survives podcast, so we're featured on Hope. So I want to ask you to give a word of encouragement. First, if you would give something to parents that have or family members of a person with a brain injury, um, and then finally, would you give a word of encouragement and hope to survivors? Yes, of course. So this is a great question. We just had a webinar. We do webinar Wednesdays every Wednesday. And we had a speaker yesterday, Greg Little, who sustained an injury in like 1972. And in the beginning, um, his speech, he said that um, he did a speech speech language pathologist he saw for a year. And on his last day of speech therapy, she played this recording for him. And when it got done, he was like, what little kid was that? Who was that? 
that was you at your first session. And so you think of just a, like the idea of neuroplasticity and the idea of, um, you know, it will get better. And I do think it does. And I think a speech is a huge component for a lot of people and it will get better. And those building blocks do those executive functioning skills can be worked on. I, I just think there is hope and there is people change so much from there and, you know, for when their initial injury happens to, you know, months, two months, you know, it, it's a slow process, but it's, it's a process. And I think, um, our survivors just need the support and love from people and not to be judged and treated differently because of their accommodations and things like that. And I think it's okay to teach them how to ask for their own rambling going all over the place here but um basically i just think yeah i think there's there's there is hope and i i wouldn't give it up and um and just keep 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 on keeping on i guess and for survivors yeah it's same thing same well yeah they i think it's it's slow to see but i do love that idea of recording even yourself at like a first session or something or getting some video of yourself right after an accident or your injury your initial injury and then you know watching your progress a year later how remarkable it can be and um i think there's a lot of people out there in the world i believe in the good of people and i think that a lot of people just want to help and your professors and your teachers and and your caregiver want to help you and um but they also want you to learn how to help yourself too so finding that balance i think is important that's great thank you so much for coming on here carly of course thank you and uh if anyone has any questions for you and wants to get in touch with you, would you yes. want to share your contact info? Or Sure, sure. Yes. Carly, C-A-R-L-Y dot Endres, E-N-D-R-E-S at U-N-D dot E-D-U. Okay. That's great. Thank you so much. Yes. Thanks so much for tuning in to Hope Survives Podcast. I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Make sure to subscribe and stay tuned as more episodes will be coming each week. And check out hopeafterheadinjury.com for more. I'll see you next time. And remember, there's always hope.